this morning. I'd like to speak about a bit more about integrating the practice and using the retreat situation as a support for that. And uh, we'd like to start with uh, offering you the opportunity that you can relinquish your phones into this basket if you like to come up. And if you haven't done so, you could then take a piece of tape and write your, you should write your name on the phone because they look quite similar and you... I'm sure it'd be grateful to go back home with your own phone rather than with somebody else's. So if you haven't yet offered your phone up and you'd like to do it, you, you could do this now in form of a little ritual, you know, to kind of strengthen your intention to not get distracted so much as usual. When she's when it's in. And those little rituals, they can be very powerful support. Okay, great. giving away a piece of your ego, at least for three days or four days. Gongs. <laughs> so that's now, you know, on behalf of everyone who has already surrendered their phones. Thank you. And Anna is going to take care of them. So that was already you know, a very good beginning by consciously you know, renouncing something. Not because it's a bad thing, because you know, phones are very important, but there's like time and place, you know, and sometimes you know, if we can carve out this time, then we should really make full use of it you know, by using all of the supports which are available here at Spirit Rock. And... Uh, You know, sometimes the mind might come up with all kinds of stories about good and bad about those things because they are essentially neither good nor bad. A phone is just like a phone. And sometimes it can be extreme, it can save lives, you know. And at other times it can really distract you from what is really important. 
and uh, it's very difficult, you know, to know the difference and to abstain from the habitual draw, you know, these things have on us. It's very difficult to kind of not check for the 500th times per day, you know, if you got another message or if there's something important. And, and through doing this, you know, for a certain amount of time, we get very deluded, you know, very confused because, you know, we are getting more and more removed from nature, really, and from those, you know, forces of nature which operate inside of us. And then, you know, if we are not having the required, you know, sensitivity to connect with them, then, you know, we end up destroying the planet, really. That's the, you know, the biggest repercussions from that ignorance or confusion or delusion. So it's pretty serious stuff, you know. And it all starts by just consciously, you know, putting down a thing like a phone or, you know, the many other things we are all like addicted to in this day and age, you know. So this practice is has very far repercussions if we really take the time, you know, to connect and go deeper, you know, and expand our range of experience and, uh, you know, connect with our deeper humanity. And then, you know, if we keep on going and going into that direction, what reveals itself is, you know, this is actually only laws of nature working. And uh, there's a choice, you know, we can familiarize ourselves with, with those processes. And then we have a certain amount of choice. And, you know, for example, we can take the precepts, we can keep the precepts even. That's a very fundamental choice, you know, to make in one's when everything starts to change, you know, because the precepts, without the precepts, the five precepts, the practice doesn't really go anywhere. It, it just starts to stop at one point, you know, we, we might be able to have a little bit less stress in our lives, but not much more than that. Because we have to, you know, leave what we know to be true in order to be able to go deeper, to really enact what we know to be true. And retreat is a very good opportunity for exactly that, you know, because in daily life it's much more difficult because we get much more caught up in um, responsibilities or thinking, you know, we have certain responsibilities we might actually not have, but anyway, we believe we have. And then, you know, our lives get so filled up and we, we just have to go so fast or we feel we have to go so fast, you know, that a lot escapes us. But here on the retreat is a is very special opportunity where we actually can slow down because there is a very limited amount of responsibility we have, like cleaning the toilets or, you know, wiping the tables or something like that. So it's not much. We can, we can slow down. And... Uh, I was just on a retreat with Raymond Analeo last month here at Spirit Rock and, you know, he puts it very succinctly into one sentence. You know, the key to uh, breaking through those layers and layers of delusion is just calmly witnessing 
change or calmly knowing change. And, you know, the seven factors of enlightenment, it's one set of qualities which we can, and which we all have in seed form already in our minds. And through the practice, we can strengthen those seven qualities. And then, you know, this capacity for calmly seeing change gets stronger and stronger. And through seeing, you know, seeing the changingness of everything, and really deeply, you know, kind of letting that sink into the system of our body and mind, then the letting go is the fruit of that, you know. Letting go is not something we can do, but we can put the causes and conditions in place by, for example, tuning those seven factors of enlightenment. And through that, you know, seeing change much more deeper and deeper and deeper, and then the letting go is the result of it. And then, you know, our range of experience gets wider and wider and we have more and more capacity to see the whole picture. And then there are certain ways of doing things or certain ways of thinking that just drop away as a result of it. You know? So it's an increasing you know, liberation of those uh, contractive patterns, you know, which we have accumulated through traumatic experience or just, you know, being a human being and going through all of the things, you know, being born is a very stressful experience and then, you know, learning all these kinds of things we had to learn that wasn't easy, you know, that has left traces in us. And the retreat situation is just like a perfect way of doing both, you know. On one hand, we're drawing from the from daily life and from all its demands, but then on the other hand, also in between the formal meditation sessions, such as like formally sitting or formally walking, in between, you know, everything in between can be used as well. Because that's quite close, you know, to a daily life experience, getting up and going to the bathroom, taking, putting on your shoes, going, eating, brushing your teeth, going to the toilet, all of those things, they can all, and they need to be used, you know. And then we, you know, to enact what we have seen in the former sitting. And for example, you know, whenever you go, for example, as a reminder, you know, whenever you, you, arrive at a door, that can be like a, a reminder, okay, slow down, you know, and mindfully opening the door, which means simply, you know, you feel the resistance of the door, you, you just feel it in your hand, it feels it through your whole body, and then the way how you let go of it, you know, doing it in a way, considering everybody else, what impact that might have, so all of those very ordinary, very simple activities, they have a very powerful effect on the mind over time, you know, through rep repetition. It's a, it's a cultivation, you know. And it's familiarizing ourselves with the way things really are, rather than, you know, staying up in the head and thinking about the way things are. And they, of course, are never in the way we are thinking. Because our thinking is, you know, a result of our past conditioning. So do not underestimate, you know, the power of 
the so-called informal times of meditation, you know. They are, and at a retreat, there's especially great opportunity to use that time. So, you know, withdrawing from our responsibilities, from our family life, our jobs, and then at the same time, you know, giving ourselves fully to what we are doing here. It's like, you know, breathing in and breathing out, really. You can't just breathe in constantly. You have to breathe out at one point. And the same is with the practice. If you don't act on what you know to be true, you're never going to, you know, transform what you see into into true wisdom. And I think, you know, Masi was also speaking about it yesterday with the yoga. The yoga is, you know, a skillful means also to help us to integrate insights into the body because they have to be acted upon in order to really um, secure them in your system so that it that you are changed, you know. You have to... That's also one quality, you know, of a good friend in the scriptures, that that friend, you know, they do what they say. They're not just saying something and then doing something different. Or, you know, if they sometimes do that, then they would maybe, you know, be okay to to maybe apologize for that, you know, or to kind of do it in a conscious way. Because the power of habit is very strong, you know. And of course, there's countless slips, but we just can't start again and again and again. That's you know the important thing to see. Every moment is an opportunity to start again. And uh, I wanted to speak a little bit about walking meditation, you know, which is a very important form of meditation you know, in the in the forest tradition, for example. It's it's not considered like a second grade practice, you know, that if you can't sit or if you have painful body, then you walk because you can't sit. But there's a lot of walking going on because walking is a powerful way of integrating mindfulness into movement, you know. And in life there is just a lot of movement. We are usually not sitting still a lot with closed eyes. So walking meditation can really help us to bring mindfulness into our daily lives. And uh, I just want to explain it a little bit. Masi, would you demonstrate? So you, you just stand on one, you, you choose a path which is you know, ideally about 30 paces long and should not cross the path of, of, of somebody else. And, you know, if it's raining outside and you can't go outside for some reason, you can also choose a shorter path, like 20 paces, and just choose it economical, you know, so that you don't use up a huge amount of space for yourself. But just there's a, like 90 people or so, make sure there's enough space for others as well. And then you, you just stand at one end of the path, and, and the first thing is, you know, just become aware standing, you know, and very simply, not not thinking I am standing, but becoming aware of the weight of the foot soles, you know, which is on the f- on the feet pressing on the ground. And ideally, without shoes, is much easier. You can feel better. And then you just f- the feeling tone, you know, of this experience of standing. And then slowly starting to walk. You know, your eyes are like about one or two yards in front of you on the ground, and just 
you know, you can walk in whatever tempo you, you wish to walk. In a normal pace, quote unquote, or if you feel really restless, you might walk a little bit slower. If you feel sluggish, you might just walk a little bit faster. And then your hands, you can have them like Marcy on the back or have them on the sides or in front. Whatever, you know, is suitable for you. And then when you come to the end of the bus, you stop. And then you, you're turning around. And while you're turning around, you know that you're turning around. Not by saying to yourself, I'm turning around, but by just being aware of the body turning. This is very simple, it's very simple. And then keep on walking again. And you never get anywhere, you never arrive anywhere, that's the point, you know, because this is to kind of decondition that connection we have in the mind. When we are walking, we are walking somewhere. And the mind is already there, you know, and the body is just trying to catch up. And we want to interrupt that momentum. Thank you, Masi. So, you know, when you're doing walking meditation, you're arriving nowhere. Or you could say you arrive, you arrive in the present moment. With every step, you arrive in the present moment, in the present moment, in the present moment. And then, you know, the thought might, boredom can come up quite easily in the walking meditation. So, okay, then you're bored. There's nothing wrong about this. And the boredom is just a result, you know, of, the, of our disability to really fully connect with what's happening. So if we can, you know, be with the boredom as long as it takes, it will, it's impermanent, you know. So, you know, the whole retreat is an opportunity to, that the mind, ideally, you know, the mind needs to be where the body is. If the body sits here and the mind is like shopping in uh, San Francisco or something, bring it back. So it's really not about, you know, how long the retreat is because some might think, oh, it's just a four-day retreat. It's not really, you know, I just can daydream because what can you do in four days anyway? It's really not about the quantity. It's about the quality, you know, and an insight can happen any moment. You don't know. So it's really important, you know, to use everything during the retreat to just, as soon as you notice that the mind is not where the body is, bring it back. But not in a way, you know, like, oh, I'm so bad, I can't meditate or anything like that. Just, you know, any moment you realize that the mind has wandered off is really a moment of mindfulness and it's a good thing. You know, I remembered, I bring the mind back. And any moment you bring the band back, that means you, know, you are cutting through the habitual way of going out and thinking about your favorite things. Any moment you notice you cut through, you come back, it's a, it's a small victory, basically, you know, where you have interrupted the habit, the habit of distracting yourself because you can't bear the boredom, you can't bear, you know, some, some kind of a emotion or feeling tone. And then opening to that feeling tone, opening to that emotion. And just letting it be there in the clear knowing it is impermanent. 
it will change. And then, you know, from time to time, if we can really come back and stay in the present moment long enough, we will be able to witness the changingness. And that's liberating, really. That's why we are doing the practice, you know, in order to really clearly see that everything, you know, which has a beginning, has a middle and has an end. And we don't, we are not responsible for that, you know. That's just nature operating. But we have the capacity and we have the freedom to inform ourselves about that. And, you know, the seven factors of enlightenment and the retreat are the perfect means, you know, to tune our minds in a way so that they can be seeing clearly enough to be witnessing this, you know, to be fully with it, you know. And then, you know, a greater sense of uh, freedom just starts to come through, you know. And then we are not so dependent anymore on pleasant feeling in terms of eating or shopping or you know, the many, many ways, you know, we, we try to pin down pleasant feeling in our lives. And we have more and more freedom to just be with what is because it's not the most important thing to have another pleasant feeling hit. <coughs> and then, you know, the, the practice takes on more and more strength. And then, you know, it's not anymore I, I am doing the practice, but I become the practice, you know. When the practice comes from the head into the heart and then it, gets more, it becomes more and more natural because it's integrated And for example, you know, speaking about pleasant feeling, eating, you know, is also one of the occasions, you know, in the retreat schedule where we can consciously, you know, experience how our bodies deal with food and how they how they deal with with tastes, and you know using that to slow down a little bit and seeing also how it works, you know, and, 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 and kind of in, enacting a certain amount of uh, deliberate choice. And, you know, we can push the boundaries in terms of how quickly we're going to follow our greed for another pleasant hit of something. We can slow it down, you know, we can delay it not in order to punish ourselves, but in order to see, you know, how, how that works. Just wait a, a moment longer. And also, you know, see the whole process of eating, see that which you can't see when you go into the dining hall. For example, you know, what happens when you go to the toilet? For example, that's one that also belongs to the eating process, you know. Or what happens... You know, the, all of the people which make make it possible that the food is on the table and how much hardship, you know, and suffering is connected with that and how much beauty is connected with that as well. To just, you know, the whole practice is about trying to widen our range of experience and not be so kind of fixated, you know, on, on just a little slice just kind of widening and widening and widening and taking in more and more. And, and through that, you know, our 
we can really inhabit a much deeper capacity in which we all already have, you know. Those seven factors of enlightenment, they're all already there. But we need to train them, just like the same if some people want to have strong muscles, they go to a gym. The muscles are already there, you know, but you can do a lot to make them bigger and bigger. I'm not particularly interested in that, but I'd like to train the seven factors of enlightenment, you know, because that gives much more power than just physical muscles. And uh, is there anything else I want to say? Yeah, there's a beautiful quote which I have brought about taste. And it's from it's from one of the four big books in the in the in the Pali canon in the Anguttara Nikaya, and it says, uh, "Dhamma is just like the great ocean, which has one taste, the taste of salt. In the same way, this dhamma and discipline has one taste, the taste of liberation." So, you know, in the beginning of the practice, we are completely kind of dominated by the taste of the food. But then if we keep on, you know, working with feelings and everything which comes up, you know, during the mealtime, such an ordinary activity as eating, you know, can be used to realize, you know, the, the goal of the practice, really. Because then, instead of being completely overwhelmed by the pleasant taste or the unpleasant taste of the food, we pay more attention to the taste of liberation, which is also in the food. And in every action, actually, you know, in everything. So, you know, we don't especially have to do anything extraordinarily. We can do what we are doing, but we need to do it with mindfulness, investigation of dhammas and you know all of the seven factors we need to bring them to bear onto the experience and then it will reveal its liberating potential because all phenomena whatsoever they are impermanent they are unsatisfactory and they are empty of a self but very often you know that very fact escapes us because we are busily you know, running after the next thing or thinking about something somewhere else or regretting something or so many different, you know, ways of distracting ourselves. So, in the retreat, we can really use this very special support system which we are part of, you know, and we are Spirit Rock offers the framework and then the three of us or the four of us we we kind of make that framework alive with the teachings and then you are coming and you helping with your different chores and you know without you the retreat wouldn't happen either so all together we are creating this opportunity and all of us we can learn from it and uh, we can use it to you know, develop those seven factors of enlightenment deeper and deeper. And maybe, 
you know, as a last thing, I'd just like to say that, uh, you know, however bored or kind of disinterested or tired or however we feel, it's just important to to do it anyway, you know, to keep to the schedule anyway. And it's just like the, the weather, you know, clouds, sunshine, rain, cold or heat, whatever happens, you know, we, we get up in the morning and we go to work. It's kind of the same thing with the retreat, you know, it doesn't really, it's kind of irrelevant, you know, how we are feeling about it. But it's important that we are that we keep on going and keep on, you know, increasing our capacity to stay open to our experience. And that's the last of the seven factors of enlightenment, upeka or equipoise, or sometimes also called equanimity. You know, having equanimity, equipoise with our experience, so not necessarily liking it, you know, but staying open to it. And that, you know, that training ourselves to be able to stay open, that's really the ultimate medicine, really, for the, for the practice to, to unfold. And then, you know, if we shut down, which happens, you know, it's because it's, it can be a very deep automatic habit. If we notice that, okay, then that's what has happened, and then we open again. And it's it's a it's a long term practice. It's not necessarily have immediate results, but we have to start where we are because that's the only place where we can start. And to also you know become aware and remember you know that we are all together in this and we all have the same challenges you know we might not be in the same phase of our practice right now but we all have to go through the same challenges and we all have to develop the same seven factors of enlightenment and we can support each other by just you know doing our peace Okay, and then Ayananda Bodhicca said I should read them out one more time. And then you have them also on your chanting sheet. So the first one is mindfulness, sati. And actually, you know, it's mindfulness uh, together with uh, sati, together with sampachanya or <coughs> clear comprehension, <coughs> or sometimes also called wisdom in action. So sati, you know, mindfulness knows what's going on and clear comprehension or wisdom in action sees the impermanence of that which is going on. Because, you know, only having mindfulness is, is not enough because somebody, you know, who would, for example, shoot, want to sh uh, hunt an animal would also need, you know, mindfulness in order to... Um, be able to succeed with his intention, but there is not much, you know, clear comprehension 
connected with it necessarily, you know, knowing, you know, the impact of that. So they both belong together. And then investigation of Tamas or Dhamma Vichaya and Tamas with a lowercase d means phenomena. So investigating, you know, what's going on, but it's not like an intellectual, you know, thinking about it, but it's more like really staying with the experience and noticing impermanence. And then energy, energy is needed, virya, that is needed, you know, to actually bring up the mindfulness and stay with the experience. We need energy for that. And then if, you know, if we succeed with getting that far in the process, then uh, joy arises, you know, or, or a sense of contentment, you know. If we are really in the present moment, the whole body and mind relaxed. And choice may be you know, a little bit doing, uh, too big of a word, but contentment would be a word which is maybe closer to that experience. And sometimes it can be quite intense, you know. It's, in the, it's sometimes also uh, translated as rapture. And then, you know, if, if uh, the system has been satisfied, you could say, to a certain extent, through experiencing joy, then tranquility is the next natural um, point, you know, in, in that development of the seven factors. Because then the whole system, you know, relaxes and just, you know, is really here. Tranquility. And then if there's tranquility, then the next natural step is uh, the mind f is able to, is collected, is focused. And traditionally, samadhi was always translated as, as concentration. And that word is one word, we, we use it as well because people us know it. But, you know, concentration is a little bit too dry, I would say. And it's, you know, it's not that kind of concentration as if you have to sit down and you have to fill out your tax returns or something. It's not like that. But it's like a natural uh, collecting of the mind because the mind is interested, you know. And there's nothing else the mind wants to do. It has already gone over that kind of through the tranquility, you know, and the joy. And then a, cons or a focused, collected mind has a natural equipoise or equanimity. And then, you know, with equipoise and equanimity, we can bear witness to all kinds of things without getting carried away into reaction. But we have the, the freedom, you know, to respond from wisdom rather than from habit. And then, you know, if we have that equipoise, equanimity, then our capacity for mindfulness is much bigger, of course, you know. And then the whole spiral then you know, goes deeper and deeper of those seven factors of enlightenment, deeper and deeper into reality, you know, and we see clearer and cl clearer what's actually going on here.
And then at one point, you know, the, the, those dis contracting habits which we have been accumulating over lifetimes, you know, they start to kind of drop away until, you know, full liberation is realized. So then, you know, the path has started with cultivating those seven factors of enlightenment and then they will be, you know, they are cultivated to their complete uh, uh, perfection. So, and we are somewhere on that trajectory, I, we don't really know, but who knows, you know, we are definitely somewhere. And this is where we are, where we are starting to work. And, uh, you know, the, and everything can be, as I said before, you know, can be used for practice. And the, the, the precepts are, are a practice very important within that process. Because the precepts can show us already a, a lot about our habits, of course, you know, because they are a little bit like a cage, you know, where you bump against the bars of the cage and then you know more about yourself. And that's a good thing. Even, you know, you might see not necessarily what you like to see, but that's not the point. Okay, I think that's all I wanted to say. <coughs> Another body wants to say something, I think. Something we, we missed uh, saying earlier on, <coughs> also to support the, the deepening and opening during this retreat, there's, there'll be a, a two affinity groups offered um, in the council house. So from 3.45 to 4.30 today uh, for people who identify as people of colour and who would find it supportive. There's a space to just for practicing together. It's not discussion. It's still silent meditation. But the uh, council house where you had your room designation is available if you want to use it f at that time. And then tomorrow, at the same time in the same place, um, LGBTIQ people are welcome to use that space if you'd like to practice together. And then the next day will already be the closing announcements. So. Just to, just to bear in mind how, you know, it is a short retreat and it's very, a very precious time. So to really, uh, you know, cherish each moment. Thank you. So we'll do walking meditation now and uh, there'll be a bell who's... So do we have a bell ringer for the end of the walking period? We don't. Uh -huh. Would somebody like to, uh, to volunteer? Yeah. Ring the big bell outside. So it's the, it's the bell out there. The, the somebody? Thank you. 10.20. Thank you. Okay. 
stay seated if they want. Or what? I'm maybe late. It's an it's so cold. Yeah, please. Okay, go ahead. Can you just please speak? I don't tell me. I just wanted to say something because the weather isn't really very. Uh -huh. Because now we we have a, a whole hour of walking meditation period here, because usually you know, at, because there's also yoga going on at the same time. Marcy is offering yoga for the first group, and it starts at uh, nine thirty. Yeah, yeah. So you know, if those who are not in the yoga. If you don't want to walk for the whole hour and you want to sit here, that is fine as well. But just be mindful, you know, coming in and out. And the uh, group practice discussions going to start this afternoon. So this morning there are no discussions yet. And then this afternoon, I and Anabody and myself going to start with those between 2.45 and 3.45. And when Tamatipa has a sign-up sheet for individual group practice discussions outside where you can just put your name if you'd like to meet. Mm -hmm. And the rooms where we are is all written there. So that was a lot of information, isn't it? But um, I'm sure it's going to work out. Oh, yeah. There's a walking hall downstairs. And Marcy, you are upstairs. And Marcy is upstairs with her yoga. And the microphone for the yoga teacher is not working at the moment, but we are very hopeful that it's going to work soon. So please bear with it. And, and especially it's difficult for Marcy to, to kind of speak that everybody hears her. So please, I don't know, you, you will find a way. Yeah. So people who are hard of hearing, if they can sit close to Marcy, and those who have good hearing can go to the back, please. And by the afternoon, we hope we have the microphone working. Thank you. One last bit of information, which is just to say we come back here for a sit. And this more, and in the future days, that 10.30 sit will be a silent sit. But this morning... I'll offer a bit of guidance, to, um, some postural guidance and some guidance to get us into more uh, settled sitting.